Yeah. 
shall see Jesus just as he is once on a hillside people were gathered hoping to see thousands were fed. He touched the blind eyes, healed broken spirits. He moved with compassion and raised up the dead. On a hillside, people were gathered, watching as Jesus was crucified. No one showed the Lord. We shall see Jesus. Amen. That's good. Amen. Well, take your Bible today. Turn over the book of Matthew. Of course, it is Easter, and so we're going to speak out of this passage. This is probably my favorite Easter passage. I speak out of it a lot on Easter especially, but Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, 
Just a couple simple thoughts today, but boy, that was good. The choir did such a fabulous job. The specials were just spot on, and boy, I tell you what, that was good. So glad you could join us today. If uh, you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you. Uh, if you show up every single week, we're still glad to have you, and uh, very glad to have you, actually, and uh, so, so glad. I know there's a couple extra folks in class. Uh, well, no, not really. We still have all of our junior churches today. We ran our buses, uh, some of our buses on, on Wednesday night, and uh, because of Easter, we also had a uh, couple's uh, a marriage retreat here uh, Friday and then into yesterday around 1 o'clock, and uh, so things have been extremely busy this weekend, and um, we, so we ran our buses on Wednesday. We had around 100 kids that we brought in just for Wednesday night, and uh, it worked out really well. The, the kids had a great time. We uh, were able to you know, get the truth and the gospel and just the Word of God out to them. And then today, uh, our bus workers were, were, if you will, off today. And so for them, it's nice to be able to uh, come sit in Sunday schools and uh, junior churches and our, should I say, Sunday schools and then our main service today, and that's kind of neat. And so uh, we're glad to have you. Uh, I think most of you are usually here, but anybody associated with the bus ministry that would be out about now was in here today, and that's good. And so we're excited about that. All right, so Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. By the way, our, our marriage retreat went extremely well. Uh, we had a, a brother Monkowski, and he did a great job, he and his wife. Uh, what a blessing they are. They're from uh, just uh, uh, in the Midwest, and they came all the way here to Ohio for uh, the conference, and we certainly enjoyed that. Had a great time. Tremendous amount of couples. We had about, I'd say, 32 couples. There was room for you. Just so you know, maybe next year you can plan on being a part of that. If you were unable to be a part this year, there's still room, and we'd love to have you. But we did. We had a great group of about 32 couples, and uh, that was just, uh, it's exciting to see uh, the young couples and just uh, just all of the couples that have uh, are, are here, uh, just from, uh, I mean, from young to older, you know, notice I said older, but, um, you know, so it was just kind of neat to see that range of couples in our church, everybody wanting to learn more and be able to grow in their relationship with the Lord as well as each other. That was great. All right, Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. <clears throat> in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. For fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen as he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. I love verse 6. When the Bible says there, He's not here, for he is risen. Man, I like that. I do. Every time I read that, I get a little excited. A man and his five-year-old son, they were driving past a cemetery one day, and they noticed a large pile of dirt next to a freshly dug grave. And the little boy said, Look, Dad, one got out. And I'm going to tell you what, that first Easter morn, one got out, amen? amen. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. He literally got out, and uh, that's awesome. One day, if you are a child of God, you'll get out, amen? 
if indeed you die before he returns. I'm hoping that I don't die before he returns. I'm hoping he comes soon and I can avoid the grave. But if I do end up in that grave, and I hope that little boy and his daddy aren't there to drive by that tomb, but if they did drive by that grave, I'd like them to say, one got out, because I'm going up one day, amen? Well, they tried to keep the Lord Jesus Christ in the grave by posting some soldiers at the tomb. It's believed that about four of soldiers were posted there, and their duties, of course, were to keep the uh, disciples from stealing the body of Jesus. It was bad enough already what Christ had done in that community and in that area and just the fame that he had and the impact that he made. And they thought, man, it would really be a mess if he appeared to rise again as he said he would one day. I find it rather interesting that the local government knew a little bit more about his resurrection than it seemed his disciples did. Isn't it funny how the disciples really were very shocked when he did rise, but the local authorities were more than happy to post a guard because they knew he had promised to do so. It's interesting to me. But nonetheless, we find them holding our standing guard. It said that probably as the four were there, one would sleep, the three would watch, and then they would change shifts. And so for three days and three nights, they did just that. Until the angel showed up and rolled the stone away. And that morning dawn, there was no Jesus to be found. He had rose from the dead. You know, the women, they, they didn't find him either. Again, that stone was rolled away. They were like, hey, who's going to roll the stone away for us when we get there? Well, the stone was already rolled away. They couldn't find the body. They ultimately are approached by an angelic being. Mary, of course, would run back home, if you will, and she would tell Peter and John that the body was not there. And they would run to the tomb only to find it empty and the burial garments wrapped neatly in a corner. Look, if you would, over in the book of John, chapter 20. John, chapter 20, verse 2. John, chapter 20, beginning in verse 2. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John. And saith unto them, They've taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter's therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. Why wouldn't John outrun Peter? He was younger. And if he couldn't have outrun Peter, there'd have been something wrong with him. But nonetheless... He beats Peter to the tomb, and then all of a sudden the Bible says, and it says, so they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he stood stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and breathing heavily, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. 
Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Boy, this morning we gather together to celebrate Easter, a momentous occasion, celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some bones from one of Buddha's fingers were sent as a gift to the emperor of China during the Tang Dynasty. They were later forgotten about, and then they were found again in 1981. The finding, of course, went, uh, if we would say today, went viral. Now, of course, it was different in those days, but it was just a sensation. Buddhists everywhere were so excited, they were so thrilled, and now the bones were on display, and many Buddhists went to see those bones. If someone had claimed to find a finger that belonged to, the, to Jesus Christ, there wouldn't be a Christian that would believe him because our faith is founded on the fact that there is no finger to find, my friend. Christ rose from the dead. Jesus wasn't in the tomb that first Easter morning. John nor Peter, either one, found him. The women didn't find him. The soldiers quaked at the presence of the angelic being and ultimately ran into the city and said, listen, they've stolen, uh, the, the body's missing. He, the angel came and we, we all passed out. And they said, you tell everybody that the disciples stole him. We'll pay you big money. That's what they said, big money. It wasn't like big money, but a lot of money. And boy, they said, okay, that's fine. And we'll protect you too. If somebody says, you should have never let it happen, we'll protect you. In those days, as a soldier that was placed on a guard, there was a likelihood that you would lose your life for losing your prisoner. But they said, we'll protect you. Just hold up the story. Don't give in. The disciples stole the body. But Jesus showed up everywhere, and all of a sudden, word was out, he's alive. So what does that mean for you and I today? It's a good question, right? You say, I got a few answers. I'm sure you do. But let me share just three simple thoughts today and we'll be done, all right? I have a word of prayer and then I'm going to give you three thoughts as to what it means to you and I today that he is not in that tomb. Father, we thank you for this time together. We're grateful for all you do for us. Lord, we're thankful for just the resurrected Christ. We're thankful for the fact that you love us enough to give us an opportunity to come to you and to be born again and then to live our lives on behalf of you, to experience your presence and your power in our life daily, to celebrate even this wonderful commemorative day, the fact that you rose from the dead. We know, Lord, that it wasn't today. We understand it wasn't specifically this is the resurrection day, like on a calendar on a certain date. We understand, Lord, that, that this is the day we celebrate it, though, as a nation. And for that, we're grateful. That we are reminded over and over again, year after year, that you are alive. Thank you, Father. Now, Lord, may you bless this time. May your Holy Spirit walk these aisles. May you bring conviction to hearts and souls and lives. Lord, if there be any that are without Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, may they settle their soul's salvation today. And Father, for the believer, may we be more convinced than ever that our faith is not vain. Lord, fill me now with your Holy Ghost and allow me to be your mouthpiece. Oh God, use me today in a mighty way. In Christ's name, amen.
So what does that mean for you and I today? Jesus wasn't in the tomb that first Easter morning. Well, because he's not there this morning, he can be here today. Because he's not there this morning, he can be here today. In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 20, the Bible says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Well, there's a few more than two or three today gathered. And can I tell you today, this morning, as we gather on this Easter morn, we can gather together in the very presence of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's not in the tomb today. He's with us. That wouldn't be possible if he was still in the tomb. It wouldn't be possible if there was still dust there from his bones and his body. But Jesus Christ rose from the dead that third day, that three nights and three days later, they looked for him. He wasn't there. Peter and John said, where's the Savior? The lady said, where's the Savior? Everybody looking for the Savior. Why? Because he had risen from the dead. Because he's not there this morning, he can be here today. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 1, please. John is on the Isle of Patmos, and while on the Isle of Patmos, he has a vision. Notice what he sees in Revelation chapter 1. We're going to look beginning in verse 12. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, we read, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Now you see that, what he's seeing now in 12 and 13. Again, he saw these golden candlesticks. And there was in the midst of those golden candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. In verse 18, we are given a very clear indication of who that is. In verse 18, it says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. The one that he sees is the one who, is, it says, I am he that liveth, he was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. He lived, he died, and he rose again. That's who John is seeing now in the midst of these seven golden candlesticks. Now you say, what does it all mean? Well, look at verse 20. It says, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand. Talking about the Lord now that he saw seven stars in his right hand. And the seven golden candlesticks. Here it is now. He's going to reveal the mystery. He's going to help us to see and understand what it was. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. We believe that to mean the pastors of the churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. You say, what's the big deal? Well, what we see then is we have this character or this person as appears to be as the Son of Man, but we find out later it is indeed Jesus Christ. And he stands in the midst of these candlesticks which represent the church. My friend, what we're seeing then is that Jesus Christ is in the midst of his church. And can I tell you, he can only be in the midst of the church because he's not in the tomb. 
I don't know, but that's kind of exciting to me to think that every time we gather together in this place, we can rest assured that Jesus Christ wants to be here for sure. And if we'll invite him in the midst, he'll be there. Because wherever two or more are gathered, he'll be in the midst. Can I tell you, though, that in some cases, according to Revelation, we're going to find that he stands outside the church knocking. That just because you call yourself a church doesn't mean that Jesus Christ is in the midst. You've got to provide him the the atmosphere, you got to provide him the opportunity, you got to give him the chance to be a part of. Man, we've got to have the right kind of music, we got to have the right kind of attitude, we got to have the right kind of preaching, the right kind of teaching, we got to have that which honors and glorifies the Lord in this place. We got to provide him an environment where he is comfortable to come and be a part of and to work and move. And may I say today, I believe today, man, just listening to that choir, my heart was stirred as I thought about God and I thought about heaven and I thought about what's going to happen one day. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ is here today because he's not there in that tomb. Because he's not there this morning, he can be here today. And that's exciting. That's wonderful. Not only that, but because he's not there, he can be here in our hearts today. Think about that. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 14, verse 19. Because he's not there this morning, he can be here in our hearts today. Sounds like we're at the circus. There's somebody with a whip and there's lions. <laughs> I know, crazy imagination, right? Look at John chapter 14, verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Man, what a powerful truth that is. Christ in us. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, the Bible says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Man, I mean to tell you that when they went to that tomb that day, Jesus wasn't there, but because he was not there, he can be here this morning. In my heart, in your heart. If we could find the bones of Jesus Christ in that, in that tomb today, if we could find remnants of his old, dilapidated, uh, broken-down body in that tomb today, he could not live inside of me, nor could he live inside of you. He'd still be there. But because he's not there this morning, he can be here. Again, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Would you turn there? We were just over in Revelation. Now let's look at chapter 3, verse 20. How does Christ come to dwell in you and I then? You say, well, so every human being, Christ lives in them. No, not until they have made a decision a conscious decision we're going to see to literally invite him
him into their life. Watch what it says here in the book of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Again, we're talking about that one who is in the midst of the church, the Lord Jesus. And he now, in Revelation chapter 3, speaking about the church at Laodicea, says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's saying, I'm standing at the door and knocking at the church's door. I'm trying to get access in. Hold on. Every church we're going to see, as we said earlier, may not permit him in to their congregation, may not allow the Lord in. You say, that'd be ridiculous. Absolutely. But friend, you can't call yourself Christian and think calling yourself Christian means that Christ is there. The name alone does not invoke his presence. Notice what it says here. Christ is going to be out there. It's amazing. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Why is Jesus Christ knocking at the door of the church? Why is the door not open to him already? But watch this. He now makes it very personal. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. He says, listen, this gets at a personal level. It gets real now. Yes, you may be standing outside knocking. He said, but every individual has the opportunity personally to invite him into their life. Now, I would encourage you to find a church where Christ is invited weekly, where he lives there or he, he operates there consistently. I get it. But I'm telling you today that he deals with us on a very personal level And the Bible tells us here, he's standing at the door. And he's not just standing at the door outside the church knocking to get in, if indeed it's locked to him. He's knocking on your heart's door. And he's knocking on my heart's door. And he's begging us to open that door. And if we'll open that door and we'll invite him in, he will live in us. So we invite him into our lives. And he not only saves us from our sin, but he takes up residency in our bodies. Remember that passage we just read in Colossians 1.27? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Because he's not there, he can be here in our hearts today. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 6.19. He's speaking now to the church at Corinth. Understand that the church is comprised of those who have been called out of this sin-sick world and into the body of Jesus Christ. These are those that have believed by faith that Christ died, was buried, and rose again. These are those in the church that have made a decision, a conscious decision, to open the door of their heart and invite him in. And Paul is now speaking to the church, which is representative of only those who have received and accepted him. A church is not to permit anyone to membership of a church who has yet to receive and accept Christ as Savior and Lord. So everyone, as he speaks, is he speaking to them as a church a body of believers and he's speaking to that body of believers and he says to them this what 
Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? He's saying your body, my body. He says, you realize, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. He's saying that the very moment that you accepted and received Christ into your life, he took up residency inside your heart, so to speak. We know it's not the physical heart that beats, but it is in you, your body, that is the temple. Yes, we serve in a church, and we have a beautiful building here, but the building is not really the church. The church is found in the body. It's all of us together, but each person is a temple. Each person has an altar within their heart. Each person meets with Christ personally, and each person has the presence of Jesus Christ living in them always once they open the door. Amazing principle, amazing truth. The disciples were extremely depressed at the news that Christ would be crucified. He gathers them together and he says, fellas, I'm sorry to tell you this. Well, I'm not sorry to tell you. I don't think he started that way. It doesn't say so in the Bible. He just says, fellas, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to like it. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to go before a mock trial. I'm going to be found guilty and I'm going to die on a cross but I'm going to rise again the third day. And they just, the, that last part went right over their heads. And all they heard was he was going to die. He was going to be crucified, unjustly condemned. And the Bible says that their hearts were broken. No more Jesus? No one to share our dreams with. No one to share our heartaches with. No one to share our sorrows with. But Jesus goes on to tell them in John 14, 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. How do I know him, Lord? For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And this is where I really, it gets interesting and I like it a lot. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So we have Jesus Christ living in us in the person of the Holy Ghost. The third person of the Trinity. But Christ says, I will be with you. I will be in you. Now that would be impossible today if Jesus Christ was still in that tomb. It would be impossible today if his body was withering away to nothingness there. Impossible. But because he's not there this morning, he can be here in our hearts today. When we call upon him and accept him into our life, we say, oh God of heaven, I know I'm that sinner you died for on the cross, and I know I deserve to go to hell for my sin. I'm wretched and wicked and sinful like nobody's business. But I thank you for dying for me and paying for my sin on Calvary. 
Thank you for giving your best and giving up your riches and taking on poverty so that I could, in poverty, become rich. Thank you for dying for me and paying the penalty for my sin and giving me the opportunity to receive and accept you, and I do that today. I accept what you did as payment for my sin. I'm not trusting in my ability or my opportunities or or my goodness. I'm trusting only in what you did on Calvary to pay for my sin. And I want to ask you to come into my life. I hear you knocking. I hear it. I hear you knocking. I'm opening my heart's door to you today. He says, okay. I'm moving in. Bring it on. Bring it on. Come on in, Lord. And boy, he does. Because he's not there, he can be in our hearts today. Right here. So we said, because he's not there this morning, he can be here today. Because he's not there this morning, he can be here in our hearts today. But last, because he is not there, we can be there in heaven one day. Boy, sin stands between us and God, doesn't it? But as we said 2,000 years ago, Christ came to this earth. Emmanuel, God with us. He alone lived that sinless, perfect life in this world. He alone, as the sinless sacrifice paid for our sin in humanity, He alone took our place on the cross, and He alone has the power to die and then rise again, proving that He can keep His word. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2, please. We're almost done, really. It's amazing, isn't it, how quickly things are moving. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, we read, But God, who is rich in mercy... That means he doesn't give us what we deserve. He's rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in holy places in Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I know you're not in heaven physically yet, but you're already there. You're already there with Christ. It's as good as done. Just count it to be so. You're already there. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm here on earth. Yeah, but you are in Christ and he's in heaven. Therefore, you're with him already. You're already there. And that is why later on in the scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, the apostle Paul would go on to say, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The moment we are absent from this temple, this body, 
We're already there with Him. We're there already, but spiritually we're there. We're there. Our eyes close in death and they open in His presence. What a wonderful, wonderful truth again. That you and I, although we are so tied to this world and everything revolves around it in our mind, although we many times think to ourselves, oh, I I don't want to leave, I don't want to give up life, because that's all we know, at least physically speaking. For years we've been conditioned to think this is it. But the Bible says, no, there's so much more to come. To be absent from this body is to be present with Him, the Lord And that is all made possible because he is not there anymore. Because he's not there, we can be there in heaven with him. I read this statement. I don't really know who this gentleman is, and I'll be frank with you, because at the time, I'll I, I be honest with you, I should have checked it up. I don't like to give you quotes from anybody if I don't know who they are, because I don't want you looking them up and going, wow, that's a great quote. I'm going to listen to every quote he has. This guy might be a loser. <laughs> but boy, he hit the nail on the head this time. A fellow by the name of Hank Hanegraaff. He said, yeah, see, I, you can't remember it anyway, right? I know, <laughs> He said, what happened as a result of the resurrection is unprecedented in human history. In the span of a few hundred years, a small band of seemingly insignificant believers succeeded in turning an entire empire upside down. As has been well said, quote, they faced the tyrant's brandished steel, the lion's gory mane, and the fires of a thousand deaths because they were utterly convinced that they, like their master, would one day rise from the grave in glorified, resurrected bodies. What motivated those early Christians to stand against the lions, to stand against the leaders of their government, to say, we will not be silent about Jesus Christ and his resurrection? What was it that ultimately caused them to go to their graves early in many cases or into prison? It was that they would not quiet themselves when it came to the resurrected Christ. You can teach a lot of things in this world and get away with it, but don't talk about a resurrected Christ. Don't talk about a king that lives today, that stands in opposition sometimes to the very leadership that we have in our world today. The world says that evil is good and good is evil. Jesus Christ says, no, it's not. This is the standard. This is what's right. This is what's good. This is where you stand. And we as Christians say we are standing on the word of God. And the word of God is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are not going to budge no matter what anyone says or what anyone does. We are loyal to him. And his, we are loyal in our allegiance to him. And boy, that's why the world hates Christians, because Christians will not bow down to their government when the government does not bow down to God. Christians will not bow down to other idols. Christians only bow to Jesus Christ. And that's where the battle is today in our world. And that's why Christians are becoming more hated than ever, because we say we believe in a resurrected Christ who will one day rule and reign. He is king of my life today, and I will submit 
to the authorities put above me. But I will not submit to sin and obeying sinful men. They cannot tell us to go contrary to what this book teaches and what our God stands for and what he says is right and wrong. You fall on the issues anywhere you want. You as a human being can do that. But if you aren't falling on those issues the way the Lord Jesus Christ does, you're on the wrong side, friend. Because long after this world has been burned up and gone, this word remains. And he is still ruling. Because he's not there this morning, he can be here today. Because he's not there this morning, he can be here today. Because he is not there, we can be there in heaven. Wow. I don't know, do you know Christ is your Savior today? Who's your king? Is it you? Because ultimately we all, we all believe in a higher power. It's somebody or something. The question is who, what? So I don't, I don't even believe there's a God. Oh, you still serve a God. It's yourself. Hey, listen, he rose from the dead. I want to encourage you, trust him. Listen, you and I both know that we're sinners at the root. We can't look in the mirror and not see that. Jesus Christ came to pay for your sin and he paid for mine. Will you let him do that today if you haven't already? Will you do that by inviting him into your life? He's knocking at your heart's door today. He's saying, you need me. Will you just say, please, Lord, come on in. I'm opening the door to you. Come on in. You know what he'll do? He'll take up residency. He'll forgive your sin. He'll save you from your sin. And he'll give to you an eternal home in heaven, a reservation. You'll be his and he'll be yours. Won't you settle your soul's salvation today? Don't leave here without knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you're a child of God today, let's make sure he's first in our lives. Let's make sure he's on the throne of our life. He's the resurrected Savior. He's the God of all the universe. Let's let him be our God too. Every day. Every day. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together in your word. Bless us, encourage us, and help us, Lord. We need you today. Lord, there may be those that are in our midst that have yet to receive and accept Christ. They need to do so if they haven't already, Lord. It's a dangerous thing to play with our soul, to just play Russian roulette, so to speak, with our, our lives. Lord, we know that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Father, we hear stories and have examples in our own lives of people who one day are here and next gone and Lord, we just don't know what tomorrow holds, but what we do know is that you hold tomorrow in your hand. And if we'll give you ourselves and invite you into our lives, you'll make sure that we'll be with you forever. Father, help us now. Meet our needs, and we'll thank you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.